0: Friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website We'd love to meet you, we'd love to connect with you, and we'd love to serve you in any way we can. Uh, We're continuing in our series called Transform. What does it look like to live out full lives that God has designed and promised for every single one of us in Him? And so we've been unpacking that, and as I was looking at the passage this week, there was a, a story that happened, which I'll tell you in a second, but it came I landed on this question is how many of you, how would you answer this question? The world would be a better place if people just blank like me, right? So fill in, all right, so think. I mean, there's lots of things that come to your mind. So the first thing that comes to my mind is I believe this entire world would be a better place if people would just drive like I drive. So I don't know if that's you or not, but this week we were driving, Holiday and I, and you know, I'm driving and a person about right here turns their turn signal on, wants to come over. And so I debated for a second about, do I speed up? You know what I mean? To make sure I get in front of them. But I thought, no, we're not in a big hurry. Just just slow down. There's plenty of room. And they never pulled over. Like they're just driving now with their turn signal on. and So I start talking, like, what is this person doing? What's wrong? I'm talking to them, but they can't hear me. And so Holly's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm talking to this person. Why aren't they coming over? What's happening? So I'm flashing my lights at this point and like, you can come on over any day now, buddy. You know, I mean, they're getting a little louder, a little more intense. So finally they pull over and then they slow down even more and there's no exits or anything coming. And so now I'm like, what is happening? So I pull around and I don't know if, I don't know if you have to do, I have to look (laughs) like I just got to see like who is driving this car, right? You're laughing at me. Do you do this? So that's the thing. Like, I got to see who's driving. Is this like some sort of artificial intelligence that's in this car? Is this a human being? What's happening? So I get around, and I'm so frustrated. And Holiday asked me this question. She said, do you believe that you are the best driver on the road right now? And I paused for a second. I go, yeah, I think I am. And she's like, are you kidding me? And then she goes, great. Like, you really think out of all, look at all these cars and all these people. And I said, you're right. And so I thought, and I go, yeah, I still think I am. You know, it's like, yes, I'm absolutely the best driver. So we took this into our team meeting this week, right? So we always do a devotional, and this was my devotional, was who's the best driver? And how many of you think you're the best drivers? And our team was about split. Like, you know, some of us, like, oh, I'm absolutely the best driver. So just in this room, how many of you think you're the best driver on the road at any given time? And the rest of you are like, nah, I'm pretty willing to give that up. Like, everybody knows I'm pretty terrible. So here's the thing. But we start to think the world would just be better, Right, If people would only drive like me, the world would be better. I have so many people that are into fitness. You know what I mean? It's like, I love CrossFit. We have great neighbors here at CrossFit. A lot of us go to, Angel goes to CrossFit. What's up, Flex? You know what I mean? (laughs) Give it up. But I mean, a lot of people, the world would be better if people just went to CrossFit like me. The world would be better if they ate like me, if they had a diet like me. The world would be better if you raised your kids the way I'm raising my kids. The world would be better if you knew how to handle money. The way I know how to handle money, I can help you. The world would be a better place if you led your company. The way I lead my... I mean, we just start... This starts infiltrating everything. And here's the thing. This thinking then starts to invade our lives spiritually. We start to think, man, the world would just be a better place. If people thought like I did, if they believed like I did, if they followed Jesus the way I followed Jesus, this world would be a better place. And pretty soon, if people aren't following Jesus the way you're following Jesus... A lot of times that can turn into just some judgment and condemnation. We start to look down on people, and really, all of a sudden, all of what judgment and condemnation does is just just breaks relationship, right? Like all of a sudden, we can't even be around these people because they don't think like me, they don't behave like me, they don't follow Jesus like me. And all of a sudden, we just end up in these little tribes where everybody thinks like we do and acts like we do and believes like we do. And so, what do we do? How do we live? In this kind of world where this thinking is constantly around us. So that's why I'm so glad that you're here today. All you great drivers, you're in the right spot. You know what I mean? We're going to continue in this series, Transform, Becoming the Better You. What does it look like to fully trust God, to trust God's power, and to trust God's plan for our lives and for this entire world? And we've had this theme verse, right, out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's just read this out loud together. So we can keep just memorizing it in our hearts. It says, "Don't copy." The be- uh, go ahead. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So today, we're going to learn how to live with deep convictions and not. Condemnation. We're gonna learn how to walk that out in this tension that we live in in this world with everyone around us on their own journey and adventure, not just in the world, but even with God. And how do we do that? How do we live with deep, clear convictions, but not condemnation? We're gonna be reminded, you're gonna be really clear on what's essential, what's indisputable about salvation and walking out a relationship with God, and then how to hold the tension as we move through this life. So I wanna invite you guys, grab your Bible if you brought your Bible. Turn back to Romans chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there are always Bibles in the back. would love for you to have a Bible. Lots of you guys have them on technology so you can scroll down. Romans chapter 14. Remember the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul, right, is teaching and reminding the church about what's possible in a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. And then the last five chapters, 12 to 16, he starts describing what it looks like to live that out in the world. How do we live out this relationship with Jesus together? So that's where we're at. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse one. It says this, "'Accept other believers who are weak in faith "'and don't argue with them about what they think "'is right or wrong. "'For instance, one person believes "'it's all right to eat anything, "'but another believer with a sensitive conscience "'will eat only vegetables.'" Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. Okay. So what's going on, right? I love the Bible, because usually if you just scratch a little bit, you just get a sense of what's happening here. And clearly what's happening here is there's some people that aren't getting along. There's some people that are arguing. And so it's important to understand, okay, so who is arguing and what are they arguing about? Those are great questions. So here we have a couple different groups of people, right? And what he's referring to with the whole weak and strong thing is there's a group of Christians, right? People who have decided to follow Jesus now that are deeply rooted. They're Jewish people. And so they have a rich thousands of years of history and tradition where God said, I will be your God and you're going to be my people, where God gave them the Ten Commandments. And they have all of these ways that for thousands of years they lived to relate to God in a particular way. They had special diets. They could only eat certain things. They had all kinds of rules around cleanliness. They had special festivals. holy. There was days that they celebrated God in unique ways. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and these are people that have chosen to follow Jesus, and yet they're also holding on to some of this rich tradition and heritage that they have. So that's one group of people, these Jewish Christians. Then on the other side, you've got these Gentile Christians, right? So these are people that don't have that. They've got like no faith tradition. They have no history. There's no traditions. They were these freewheeling people just out there. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, hey, follow me, put your life in my hands. And so they choose to trust Jesus with their life. And so Jesus is what's uniting them, but they don't hold to any of this history and tradition and rules and regulations, right? Because how many of you have heard about the 10 commandments at some point in your life? awesome. It wasn't just 10. You got to understand like for the Jewish people, what had been packed around that through the years as they were interpreting how to live out those 10 was another 609, 611. So there were 613 rules, right? That they were trying to follow as best they knew how. And it's not a bad thing. They were doing their best to relate to God. But now there's this freedom in Jesus. These people, all they knew was freedom, And then all of a sudden you're like, but wait, these people aren't following the rules and they're not following the diets. And they're going, why are you following diets? That seems really dumb. Like this seems free. What's happening? So that's why they're arguing. And it's getting pretty heated. As you can imagine, right? These Gentiles, it says they look down on Jewish people. And we read that. It's like, what does that mean? Is it really that bad? Look down. If you translate it, it means contempt. And contempt is this sense of disgust. Absolute Disdain. They despised what was happening. The Gentiles are looking down with contempt on these Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians, they are judging. It says they're condemning. They're judging the Gentile Christians because they're not following some of these traditions and rules and everything that had grown up. They felt minimized, right? And that's what's happening is here. And so Paul is just saying, look, you gotta stop. He's saying, don't argue. Don't try and convince one another that this is the way to follow Jesus. Because oftentimes when you try and convince and you're trying to win that argument, that can turn into contempt if they don't change. And you don't need them to change. And that contempt can become condemnation and judgment and it's not your job to judge. It's not your job to condemn and we know what happens when we condemn. You can't even be in relationship with one another. It just creates division and divide and hatred. And so Paul literally says in verse 1, the the NIV translation of verse 1, it says, don't argue about disputable matters. Don't argue about secondary things. Don't argue about the things that aren't essential to what it means to follow Jesus and how we follow him together. Now, here's the thing. Some things are absolutely indisputable. Right? Because here's what he's de- He's dealing with faith issues. He's not dealing with sin issues. That's not what's on the table here. Last week, if you were here, Jonathan talked out of Roman, Romans 13. If you didn't get to hear it, I invite you and encourage you to go listen to it. Because in Romans 13, right before this, Paul dealt with sin issues. He dealt with the non negotiables for people. He talked all about how you gotta put off that old human way of thinking, the selfishness and the greed that just gets you into trouble. You gotta take off all those desires, right, that you have that fuel your life. You gotta take those things off and you gotta put on holiness. You gotta put on righteousness. You gotta put on the pursuit of what? Of Jesus and having Him change your life. So this isn't a sin issue. This is just now what does it mean to follow Jesus? And He's saying there's lots of traditions. Some people are bringing lots of traditions. Some are bringing almost... Stop arguing about those things. Those aren't the most important thing. It's a faith issue. It's a preference. It's an interpretation. And how do we know that this is faith issues and preference and interpretation and not sin and something that's a non-negotiable? Well, because Paul tells us Not just in the first verse where he says, don't argue about disputable matters. We also see in verse three, he literally says, God has accepted all of them. Like God's accepted, these are all people that have chosen to put their trust and their faith in Jesus. So stop arguing about what it looks like in disputable matters. And I love, right, don't you love that Paul writes this letter? And isn't it great that somehow the church got it. And now for thousands and thousands of years, the church has just found a way to come together, be unified, and not argue about what doesn't matter. I'm totally kidding, in case you don't know that. I'll just give you one statistic. There was a study that a seminary did in 2019. They wanted to know how many different denominations of Christianity exist around the world? In 2019, they were able to discover 45,000, right? 45,000 denominations. And we know denominations generally aren't just a church, these aren't individual churches. These are groups of churches, generally hundreds, if not thousands. 45,000 in 2,000 years, right? And many things that probably divided all this up was what? Disputable matters. Stuff that all of a sudden, we're making things that aren't the most important thing, the most essential thing. And so clearly, right, he's saying, don't argue over disputable matters. Don't let questions you have about how one another is following Jesus, don't let those questions turn into trying to convince them that they need to do it your way. And if you don't try and convince them, what happens is that's going to turn into contempt. And you're going to start to hate them. And if you do that, you're going to judge them. And then you can't even be in relationship. And so Paul's saying, don't argue over disputable matters, these gray areas. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're thinking, it seems to be pretty important. Then we got to know, what are these disputable matters? How would we know? What are these things? Well, clearly, there's a very long list. Right? So it might be easier and probably much more important if I gave you what is indisputable. What's essential in terms of faith in Jesus and salvation? For us at Friends Orange, everybody hold your hand up. Here's the way you to remember it. Five things. The first one, God. God as the creator of everything. God as a loving father. God who has always existed and will always exist. God who is perfect. The word the Bible uses is holy, meaning he's other than. God who is timeless and present and powerful. Jesus, God's son, Who came to this earth, who was born to a virgin, Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means he's fully God and he's fully human. Jesus, who lived this perfect, sinless life so that one day he could become the perfect sacrifice who died on a cross for all of our sin, for all of the damage and brokenness and evil that we have introduced and continue to introduce into this world. Jesus, who didn't stay dead, but was resurrected to demonstrate his power over evil and darkness, and who returned to heaven to be with the Father, but will someday come back to make everything right, to restore everything the way God had intended from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit, which of course would be the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the gift that God gives, the one that Jesus promised to his disciples. The Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, our guide, our teacher, our comforter, the Holy Spirit who literally lives in us when we choose to place our faith in Jesus and trust in him. The Holy Spirit who empowers our life so that we can actually change and, and shape our desires and our thinking and our feeling and even our behavior over time. The, the Holy Spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that allowed him to perform all those incredible miracles that we read about in the same spirit. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, grace, that a relationship with God is only possible because of the grace God gives to every single one of us. Meaning it is just by faith in Jesus that you're saved. It's just faith in this grace that God offers. You can't earn A relationship with God, you can't be good enough, you can't be smart enough, you can't be powerful enough, you can't do enough, you can't get there's nothing you can do but simply just receive His grace. And finally, God's Word. We believe that this book is far more than just a collection of stories, we believe that this book is alive. We believe that when you read this book, this book actually reads you and speaks to you. We believe that it's the alive and active word of God and that he uses it to teach and to shape and to guide and encourage and invite and even convict our lives. That's it. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, grace, God's Word. This is what we do our very best to hold tightly to and consider indisputable. Now, I know what some of you were thinking, because some of you, you grew up in church, and there's a whole lot of things going on in your brain right now. And you're thinking, yeah, but Kyle, but what about baptism? Like Jesus said it, to be baptized, repent, be baptized. It's important. It is important. What about, what about communion? Jesus gave communion, right, as a way to remember him. So why, why is it communion? What about not only that, what about prayer? How are we supposed to pray? What's our view of prayer? Are we listening? Are we? Does anything change when we pray? What about the Holy Spirit? Let's talk about him for a while. Like, how does he show up? Like, what about the gifts of the spirit? What about the things that the disciples did? Are you telling me that, that God is still healing people through his people? Are you t- what about tongues? Anybody can talk about speaking in tongues here? Like, what's happening with that? The church I grew up in and the one I, it's like, what about all those things? And not only that, we live all those things. There's so many church traditions that get layered onto that. Some of you are like, I don't know about this building. I feel like there should be bigger crosses or I feel like a, a steeple or something. You know, I mean, what happened to that? Some like, Is Kyle's shirt's untucked. I thought we wore suits to church, right? As you grew up in these traditions. Some of you, it's like, wait, can we read songs off screens? Don't we have books, hymnals or something that we're supposed to read? Is it okay, right? I mean, I grew up in so many traditions like that. There's good traditions, things that we hold on to, history that some of us have around these things, around dress or liturgy or, or preaching. Here's what Paul's saying. Those things are really important. They're, they're just not indisputable, The only things that are indisputable are these things. These things are, are, they're nice things. They're good things. They're important things. But they're not hills that we're going to die on and divide the church over or start having relationship over. You see, this is how we get to 45,000 denominations in about 2,000 years. Is because this list just gets longer. And the things that we want to add to it in terms of how we follow Jesus. So here's what's interesting. My, my solution often, I just wanna oversimplify things sometimes, and so I feel like as I'm reading this and I'm packing, I'm like, yeah, just get it together, right, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, come on, get it together. Let go of some things. Just die to those things, right? Find your way, I almost wanna minimize the background and the history, and it's fascinating to me, as I was reading this this week, it was a surprise to me, because Paul's advice, his wisdom to the church when he's saying don't argue, about disputable matters, it's exactly the opposite. Look at what he says in verse five, the second half of verse five, he says this, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. You should each be fully convinced that whatever you're choosing is acceptable. What's he saying? You each should have very deep and very clear convictions about the way you're following Jesus. Just don't let those divide you. Because they're they're disputable. Make sure you hold really tightly to what's essential and what's indisputable. And these things are so important. You should develop very clear, deep convictions about them in your life. You should have very clear thinking about baptism and how important it is. You should have very clear thinking about communion and what it means. You should have very clear ideas about the Holy Spirit and how he works in today's world through you. You should have very clear ideas about the church and the role of the church in the world today and to live those things out. You should be really clear on that. You should, but don't hold it so tightly that you start to strangle one another because all those things are disputable. That's what Paul's saying to us. And that's the challenge, right? Care deeply, but hold tightly to what's essential. And for me, you gotta understand, growing up, I've talked a lot, I was this guy. I had so much history and tradition. I grew up in a great church. And I had so many things built into me, festivals and days and diets and, and just ways of following Jesus. And here's the thing, it wasn't just these five, these things to me were so deep, they were, I had more than you could imagine, definitive ideas about baptism, communion, all these things, yeah, I don't have enough appendages to hold them all. And the way that I would live those things out is I was pretty sure if you weren't even following Jesus the way that I was, I'm not sure you're making it in. I'm pretty sure you're going to hell. So like whoever's a part of those 44,999 denominations that wasn't mine, sorry. It's going to go back. Like that's the way that's the way I was raised. That's the way I grew up. Definitive things. And so when I got in conversations with people, I'd ask questions, but I wasn't asking questions to learn. I was asking questions to convince. And that, if I couldn't convince somebody, then all of a sudden I would just start to have contempt and go, I can't, even, I can't believe you. I can't believe you're not agreeing. Can't yeah, that contempt would turn into judgment and condemnation. And pretty soon my world just got really, really small. And everybody I was around would just think the way I did and acted the way I did and lived the way I did because my list of what was essential or indisputable was so long. I remember when I accepted Christ, and I was baptized in my church, they gave me a manual, right, to go here. And this manual, essentially, all the gray areas, the disputable places in the Bible, basically, it just made them black and white so they weren't gray. It was like, here, here's how you, and I was like, wow, okay. And so you can see how, for me, that becomes my default as I go through life. It's like there's a whole lot of truth and a little bit of grace, and so everything now when I'm confronted with, that's my default when I'm driving. And all of a sudden I start to get irritated and I can't understand what's going on and I'm asking questions and I can't, oh, I just want to get a whole lot of truth. A little bit of grace when I drive. And that's the way I've lived my life. That's my default if, if left unchecked. That's what it turns into. So what about you? Let's just pause here for a minute. Like, how did you grow up? How are you walking in today? What do you think? Maybe this is new. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you're walking in like these Gentile Christians, and you're like, I'm so glad to know what's essential to a relationship with God through Jesus. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's miraculous when you think about it. It's amazing. Maybe you're coming in with, with a list Maybe it's written, maybe it's unwritten, but a manual, history, tradition about what you believe it means to follow Jesus. Those are important things. Those are good things, but they're not indisputable things. And how have you been holding that tension? Have you let the questions become contempt or condemnation towards people that might see it differently than you or walk it out differently? So what do we do? How do we live in this world, in this tension? Paul's saying, don't argue, right, about disputable matters. Well, I love the Bible. Talk about it all the time. It usually answers our questions if we just keep reading. Look at what it says, verses 6 to 8. Paul says, those who worship the Lord on a special day, they, they do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food, they do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods, they also want to please the Lord and they give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor God. And if we die, it's to honor God. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So what do we do? How do we live in this tension? How do we hold tightly to what's essential? And develop deep conviction, but hold loosely to things that aren't essential. Well, just pay attention to what the Bible says. So right here in three verses, four times you see the same phrase. Honor the Lord. That's how. Honor the Lord. And you're thinking, what does that mean? How would we honor the Lord? Well, relate everything to God first. Let God be the primary filter of all of your thoughts and all of your feelings and all of your actions and all of your behaviors. Take everything, right, and raise everything to God, including not just the sin issues that are obvious in our life. Those are pretty easy. We know when we run off the rails, but even the faith issues in our life. The important things that we've been talking about, raise all those to God too and go, God, God, what do you want to talk to me about with this? What do you want to say to me? How do you want me to learn and grow, relate everything to him? Baptism, raise that before God. God, what do you want to say to me about baptism? Why did you give it? How? Communion, what does that look like as we live out? Prayer, God, what do you want to teach me about prayer? You want to learn some new things? I mean, I know, I know the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer. Should I, should I know more? You should just ask him. Relate everything to God. Everything for him becomes the filter. All of these different issues, even the church traditions, we get to raise everything to him. Everyday life, right? What if everything we did, our thoughts, just think, God, is this a thought that honors you? a feeling that we have, a desire that we have. God, is this a feeling? Is this a desire that honors you? A conversation that we're having, that the way that we're having it, what we're talking about, the kind of tone we're using, God, is this honoring to you? What we're listening to on the radio, what we're watching and binging on Netflix, God, is this honoring to you? You see what happens if it becomes the primary It actually is pretty powerful in terms of how we live out these essentials where we go, what we do, who we date, who we marry. God, is this honoring you? My relationships? You see, it's pretty powerful. And not only that, he doesn't just leave us here with this one principle about honor the Lord. He actually shows us that there's three things that'll help pull it. three principles that if you apply, it makes that even easier to discern what honors the Lord. So the first thing we see If we keep reading in verse 10, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. The first thing we see is in verse 10, right? How do you honor the Lord? Verse 10, it says this. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? I don't think Paul clearly, he's telling us not to judge and condemn, so I doubt he's judging and condemning them. I don't think he's pointing his finger and going, why are you doing this? That's not Paul's tone. I think what he's actually inviting is reflection. And I was thinking the first question you have to ask is, why? Just ask Why? Just go, why? Why do I feel this way I feel? Why am I having this thought? Why do I have this desire? Why do I get so angry when their blinkers on and they're not moving? It's not what does it say about them, it's what does it say about me? Why do I have this emotion? Why do I want to respond this way? Just ask why. That's all Paul's saying. It's just stop for a second and think. Ask yourself, why? And let God talk to you. The second thing, It's the very first verse we read. Chapter 14, verse one, it says this, accept other believers and don't argue. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Accept and don't argue. So the first thing is Acts Y, the second thing is accept and don't argue. The word accept there literally translated means to receive, to welcome. You've got to receive, you've got to welcome other believers, you've got to receive and you've got to welcome their thoughts and ideas, you've got to receive and you've got to welcome a conversation with them about, hey, tell me more about how you follow Jesus, hey, tell me more about how you follow Jesus, tell me more about your traditions and your history, help me understand why those things are important to you. You've got to show up uh, uh, to have a discussion, not a debate. And some of you go, what's the difference in the two? Well, when I show up to discuss something, I'm generally showing up to ask some questions and to listen and learn. When I show up to debate, I'm showing up to what? I'm showing up to win, baby, right? There's gonna be a winner and loser in this thing. And if you grew up like me with a whole lot of truth and a little bit of grace, we're pretty good at winning debates. I've raised a couple kids that are pretty good debaters. So here's the thing, we got to show up. We've got we to ask why. We've got to accept, welcome, receive different thoughts and ideas and opinions and be willing to learn, be willing to listen, be willing to give permission to go, wow, it's fascinating. Let's just hold tightly to what's essential. And finally, we got to live with conviction, not condemnation. We've got to deepen what we think, what we believe, and why. Based on our journey with Jesus through his word, through his spirit, through his church and people. And here's why, verse 12. Paul, when he's finishing this passage, he said, look, here's the deal. Each of us will give a personal account to God. What he's saying is you're only responsible for who? You. See, we wanna be responsible for other people. I wanna help people learn to drive really badly. What my wife reminds me all the time is, it's not your job. Your job is to drive. It's the same thing spiritually. If I could just teach people how to follow Jesus, this is what it means. If I could make this list so much longer for you, I think you'd get it. Instead, what I'd rather have you do is, you know, develop deep convictions between you and God and his word and his spirit you should know what you believe and why and what you think. I'd love to talk with you about that. But we're not going to debate it. We could discuss it. So for thousands of years, one of the quotes that's kind of gone around the church, been attributed originally to St. Augustine and then to people like John Wesley, I'll just claim it for today since I'm saying it. In essentials, Unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, freedom. And in everything, charity, grace. Whole lot of grace. Little bit of truth. What if we live that way instead of the other way around? I think, just to sum this up, I think what, what Paul would say to us, if he had to answer that question that we asked at the beginning of the service, I think he'd say, you know, the, the world would be a, a whole lot better if people just honored the Lord like me. And it's not just I think Paul would say this, I know he would say this, because one of the letters he wrote to a church in Corinthians He literally just said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's just saying the world would be better. I'm doing my best just to follow Jesus with what's essential. Just do that with me. Together we'll change this world. And in this passage, this is my story. It's like I said, if there's anything I've learned in, man, almost 45 years, of walking with Jesus. It's, uh, today in my life I hold really tightly to fewer things. I have deeper and more clear convictions about everything than I did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But I hold really tightly to what's essential. And I'm willing to hold you really loosely as you work out your convictions with Jesus. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, freedom. And in everything, a whole lot of grace. A little bit of truth. If you would just close your eyes, let me pray for you as we respond today. I believe that God just wanted to speak with you today. That's why you're here. I believe He speaks, I believe it was an opportunity to work out the convictions in your life. And I think a couple questions that Paul would ask is the first one is just, are you, are you holding tightly to what's essential? Are you clinging tightly to God, a loving heavenly father? To Jesus who gave his life for you? To the spirit who speaks and leads and guides and comforts? to grace and to God's word. Are you holding tightly? Or maybe you're holding too tightly to what isn't essential. Maybe God's inviting you as you develop deepening convictions in your life. He's affirming that, but he's inviting you Not to debate, not to convince, not to hold in contempt or to condemn, but hold tightly to your convictions without strangling the people around you. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to every single one of us today on our lifelong journey of discipleship and becoming more and more of who you created us to be, to walk in the the fullness of the truth and the grace that you offer in Jesus. Continue to speak to us as we listen and just respond wholeheartedly and help us to take just our next step of faith with you today.